Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, welcome to the pod. We've got a special episode for you today. Very special, but it's the amazing Kate Lister who's been on this podcast many times. So brilliantly that she's now got her own pod, Betwixt the Sheets. How you doing, girl? Hello! I'm so pleased to be here. It's great fun to have you. It's great fun to be... You know what? You know what's nice, Kate? Being your colleague. We're colleagues now. <gasps> colleagues! We send each other emails, bit of light banter on the WhatsApp. Hang around the water cooler, gossiping about Sheila from accounts. Yeah, we did do... Well, we, we hung around in a pub, so yes, I guess that's correct. I'm jumping on your successful bandwagon, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. We've got a mash-up episode, and we're going to talk about Casanova, who's one of those rare people whose life becomes such a legend, they actually become a noun. Is it a noun or a metaphor? What a Casanova. That's a noun. So he had a life so full of sex and adventure. I mean, I'm blushing here because obviously I get called Casanova all the time, all the time. He, he was charismatic, smart, witty, clever, and he rubbed shoulders with anyone who was anyone in 18th century Europe. He had obviously fought duels. He escaped from prisons and he wrote extensively. Uh, but how true are the myths around him? Kate, let's talk about uh, it. He's one of those people where you read things and you think, well, that can't possibly be true, but it kind of is. He invented the lottery. He travelled widely. He did have sex with a lot of people. He did use linen condoms <laughs> um, and he did use oysters to try and seduce people and he lost his virginity to uh, a pair of sisters. Uh, okay, so we can expect sex in this episode, folks. Some of it comic, some of it not comic. So buckle up. And this is a content warning for everyone. Yes. This is History Hit in the Sheets <laughs> with me, Dan Snow. And me, Kate Lister. Enjoy. Kate Lister, how's it going? You've got the fastest growing podcast in the world. Betwixt, <laughs> it's pretty cool. I always love your like sexual advisory stuff at the start. You're like, of course it is. The whole point listening to it, you Muppets. <laughs> that's, that's my favourite bit is the having to go, right, yeah, it's about sex. We're going to talk about sex. It's like when you get the little bottles of nitol and it says, warning, may cause drowsiness. Yeah. But I actually quite enjoy that bit now. But yeah, it sounds like you're enjoying that bit, for sure, for sure. I mean, Casanova is like a central figure of this story, isn't he? I mean, it's bonkers. There's a lot of things you could say about him, and I'm sure that we will, but you'd have to say that he drank deeply from the cup of life, I think is what you'd have to say about Casanova as he lived several lifetimes over, didn't he? 
I think that he realizes quite early on. You sort of get the sense when you read it is his memoirs, which is really the only source that we have for Casanova. Is this like thousands and thousands, ten thousand words or more memoirs that he wrote when he was in his sixties, and you get a real sense of him sat there. He was a librarian at the time because he'd frittered everything away. By the way, can we just briefly, Casanova ended his days as a librarian. I love librarians, but I mean, that is a classic. It is, isn't it? Because he earned his fortune several times over and then spaffed it up the wall repeatedly because he couldn't stop gambling. He was a terrible, terrible gambler. And sort of everything he did was about chance and opportunistic and he would keep getting in trouble. He'd keep being chucked out of places, which is kind of one of the reasons he was on the run all the time is because he would keep pissing people off and then he'd be exiled. But I don't think he ever stopped being a chancer. I think he worked out very early on that he was really clever. And he was. He was really, really bright. But I think that he worked out that you can trick people. You can manipulate people. And I think he liked doing it as well. So he is super smart and he graduates. He's really clever. He hates the law, doesn't he? He hates it. But he graduates super young from university and is still a teenager. He's really young. He's one of those like child prodigies. He graduates from law at about like 17 or something like that. And he was just a voracious reader of books. He would just absorb everything. But then he's stuck because, well, all right, you're very clever and you know a lot of stuff and you're quite good looking by all accounts. But what are you going to do? You're still the son of an actress and you're penniless. So he tempted to go into the church for a bit, but wasn't very good at it. He was a bit of a wrong one, wasn't he? Well, do you know, he was really good at delivering the sermons and people started coming from all over the place to hear him talk. But there was one incident where he got smashed before he was supposed to give the sermon and then he wasn't sure what he was supposed to do, so he pretended to faint rather than give it away that he was absolutely sozzled. And it just became pretty obvious that he was not going to fit in the church because he kept shagging everyone. And he then... He basically finds himself a wealthy patron, right? Which is, I mean... He does. It's just a shortcut. It's a life hack, though, isn't it? But then what are you going to do? You're like 18 years old. How are you going to make your money? It's a very, very, very different world. You can't really have an apprenticeship. If you haven't inherited the money, there's only a few options available to you, really. And getting a wealthy patron is definitely one of them. And he does score the jackpot, and it's uh, Senator Bragadin. Casanova found him when he was having a heart attack or a stroke. And he kind of launched into, and it's another example of him being this brilliant con artist. He launched into this, oh my God, I'm going to help you. I'm the hero. And he picked him up off the street and took him back to his apartments and laid down the bed. And then he made this whole big song and dance about how he'd saved him and his doctors couldn't. So when Bragadin kind of came back round, he was incredibly indebted to Casanova and he made him his principal heir. But it's another example of him bullshitting really, really well. Well, he's sort of being a healer slash... Alchemist is something that he would turn turn to when he was mm. struggling for a square meal. Yeah, and it was a dangerous game, actually, and it was one that would come around and bite him on the ass because in Venice at the time, there was sort of their own version of the Inquisition going on, which is sort of the repressive religious authorities were getting very upset with this sort of magic, occult, sacrilegious stuff going on. And Casanova really liked that. In fact, he's got one story that when he was really little, his grandmother took him to a witch to heal him of nosebleeds which is extreme. (laughs) And he thinks at some points that he is able to perform magic and Kabbalah and mysticism. And at some points in his life, pretends to be like a spiritualist and a mediumist. But he does kind of play around with this stuff. How much he believed it himself, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, he does a bit of Philosopher's Stone Mm, action, doesn't he? We should talk about sex, because he is also the victim of child abuse. I mean, he had 
his first sexual experiences were under the age that he was young. I mean, wasn't he? He was young. He didn't have full penetrative sex until he was in his teens. But his first sexual experience was with a woman that was older than him, definitely. And he kind of remembers it as like it awoke something in him that he was going to devote the rest of his life to. But today, yeah, we'd say that that's child abuse. And then he... So famous sleeping in nuns, but that does fit within the genre of sort of literary nun porn in the 18th century. Yeah. It was actually a thing. It was a thing. You've got to be careful when you talk about Casanova because it's like, how much of it is true? If the authority that you've got on this is himself, is his memoirs, how much of it can be corroborated by other source material, you know? Or how much of it, if you put different lenses on it and like it's your mate at school that was bragging about shagging two supermodels and... And you're like, did that happen? Did that happen? And there's certainly a lot in the memoirs that sort of maps onto quite popular genres of porn at the time. And non-porn was quite big. But yeah, famously, he had two very turbulent love affairs with two women who lived in a nunnery. Yeah. We should talk about his... Um, he was in prison, you've mentioned this, yeah. and his famous escape from prison, because that is a classic. Tell me about that. Right. Okay. So he gets imprisoned because, um, and this is going back to like what you were saying at the beginning about at the time people were aware that he was shagging people he shouldn't be shagging and he was getting a reputation. And he was like the um, Venetian authorities were gathering information on him about him being a fornicator and a seducer of women and a liar and somebody that stole men's wives away and was generally a rake and a scoundrel. But what really did for him was this sort of dabbling in magic that he liked to sort of put about. And there was the accusation that he'd said, anyone who believes in Christianity is weak. And he was arrested on those charges and he was thrown in jail in Venice. And he stayed there for 15 months and he did manage to escape, which was no mean feat because he was right up in, they were called like the lead cells or something like that because they had lead on the roof. So it's how does he get away? And he manages to find, it's sort of like, I'd say an ice pick, but it's not. But imagine like an ice pick. And he manages to sort of make a hole in the ground. But then he's moved to a different cell just as he's about to Andy Dufresne it, right? But then he starts talking to a monk who's a bad monk, who's in the cell next to him. And he manages to get him the ice pick. And then he kind of tunnels through to his cell and they pull each other out. And then they're like loosen the rafters in the ceiling of the building of the jail. This is a perfect example of Casanova being a complete con artist. So they're climbing up the roofs, they're climbing in the eaves, and the only place they can get to is like this big great hall that they kind of drop down into, but all the doors are locked. So it's like, well, that's brilliant. We can't get out. But they're so tired, they fall asleep. And then they get woken up the next morning by a guard opening the door. And Casanova leaps into action straight away and he goes, how dare you? How dare you treat us like this? And what he knew was there'd been a ball there the night before. So he managed to pass off in that second that they were two guests of the ball that had been locked in there overnight by accident. The guard was so apologetic and terrified that they'd report him to his superiors. He led them out of the building. That's like mad skills, that, isn't it? <laughs> That's... Mad skills. The joyful <laughs> years before, like, you know, official papers. and uh... Yeah. It just shows how far confidence can get you, doesn't it? If you just front it out. After it escapes, is that when he goes to France? There's this incredible, the most proper bit, well, I say that, it's still gambling, but the most kind of perhaps the bit of his career that's he's not actually breaking multiple laws and customs at the same time. He goes to France, he goes to Paris. Yeah, and he loves Paris and he learns the language. And again, he's seducing everybody, famous courtesans, famous actresses, famous men's wives. But the one thing that he does 
is he, quote-unquote, invents the first lottery. Yeah, like a national lottery. Like a state lottery, yeah. I mean, he... Again, what he does is he manages to convince people that he's invented it. But what he actually did is he nicked the idea from other people that he'd been speaking to. So Obviously. it wasn't his idea. But he packaged it really well and he was an amazing salesman. So he sold this idea to the Parisian authorities. And obviously, like the lottery is it's win-win for everyone. Isn't it? It's all as poor schlubs think, yeah, but I might win it. And we kind of enjoy that little buzz and the people that win are the company that does it. So he made them a lot of money and he made a lot of money for himself. But yeah, he's still remembered as the inventor of the lottery. He gets a bit of work as a spy at this point. He hangs out with Madame de Pompadour, who's Louis XV's sort of favourite foremost mistress. And and Rousseau he's hanging out with. I mean, it's bonkers. If he did hang out with him. Oh, you see, maybe he's just making it up. <laughs> He might be. I mean, there's some corroborating evidence because um, when his memoirs were discovered and finally published, there was a lot of his letters and correspondence that was found. And there are letters that have been written to him. So we know that, I mean, unless he was going to the extent of faking letters written to him, like we know that some of this can be corroborated. But you can't help but reading it through and go, oh, you helped Mozart with your music, did you, Casanova? Right, of course you did. It just sounds very much like, yeah, he goes to another school, you wouldn't know him. It's just got that kind of vibe about it, but maybe I'm being really horribly wrong. Maybe it was all true. Well, I yeah, you don't know if you want it to be true or not. It's so bizarre. I like the way he basically nicks loads of money off an old French aristocrat yep. by promising he can make him young again. <laughs> <laughs> and then goes to Britain to flog his lottery scheme to the British government and ends up shagging some Brits. Then he does do this kind of mad European tour. Again, meets Frederick the Great, meets Catherine the Great. Wild. Yep, he's all over the place. And you can look at that as like, isn't that quite exciting that he's always kind of on the move, he lives this very kind of rootless existence, but he also keeps getting thrown out of places. So he has to keep leaving places. When he was in England, he was shagging various courts and he didn't like it very much because he couldn't speak English all that well and they couldn't speak French. Which is kind of nice because he had this thing about like he didn't just want to have sex. He also wanted witticisms and banter and, you know, all those things. Knock, knock jokes. I don't know. So he didn't like that very much. And he got in trouble with quite a famous courtesan in Britain whose name escapes me. She had a French name and she wouldn't sleep with him. And he got really upset and angry because it's like the first woman that had refused him. And I think he slapped her as well. And he was really upset with himself and he left. This is History Hit in the Sheets with me, Dan Snow. And me, Kate Lister. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come. Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's funny, the pictures of Casanova, I'm being a bit superficial. It doesn't look super attractive. And I just wonder if, like, people's teeth must have been so bad. If you were, like, a bog standard six and a half out of ten, seven, were you, like, a ten in the 18th century, do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that what Casanova has, and I still think that this is true today, self-confidence and self-belief and wit and being funny is one of the most attractive things that you can have. Like you could put something in front of you that is a solid 10 out of 10, like your absolute dream shag. And it would be amazing for a bit. It'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe I get to play with this. This is incredible. How long would it take before you started going... Still here. Like if they had like no personality, if they were actually quite boring to be around, like how long would it take for that novelty to wear off? But he didn't have that. He had wit and charisma in absolute spades. And so he was really confident and that will get you like so far almost every time. Listen to this, kids. That's advice for you from the expert. That's advice. Yes. He was expelled from Warsaw when he had a duel. I mean, come on, he's got to have a few duels and he got shot in the left hand. With a colonel, they've argued over an actress, of course. Of course. By the way, can we just talk about the actress thing? Like, what is it about an actress? Like, hence the bishop actress sort of phrases that we <laughs> use. Like, tell me about 18th century actresses. Right. So there has been, as long as there, because women weren't always allowed on the stage, of course. Like, right in Shakespearean times, it was men playing the roles of women. So it was considered very daring when women were finally allowed on the stage. And there has been a very close association between actresses and sex workers, courtesans. Like they've merged into one another for a really, really long time. And I suspect it's because an actress has got a certain amount of agency that other women don't have. So, for example, Casanova's mother, she travelled all over Europe. You're not going home to a husband, but you have a certain amount of freedom that's built into that. That you're on the stage, so you're already being admired. That's definitely a part of it. And if you look at some of the, like, the great courtesans throughout history, they start off as actresses. Like Nell Gwynn, one of my favourites, she started off as an actress on the stage and that was how she caught the eye of Charlie Boy, Charles II, and became his mistress. So there's a really close association between the two. 
is this unusual in memoirs? He talks honestly about how, how he had sex with men as well as women. Is that something, given that sodomy is capital crime, that strikes me as kind of quite uh, honest. He doesn't quite go into the same gory details that he does with women. There's like veiled suggestions. So he would write about one of his famous lovers, M.M., who was actually a nun, of course she was, but who was also the lover of a really prominent bishop, of course she was, and that they had sex while the husband watched. And it's kind of like, is that true? Or like, was he in there as well? But there is one incident where he's very, very attracted to a famous singer, a castrato, and he goes to have sex with him. And then kind of realises at the crucial moment, him is a her and she's been masquerading as a castrato and stuffing her pants with a fake penis. And there is a certain amount of, he seems to be getting off on it a little bit. So he probably wouldn't have written it down in explicit detail because as you said, it's like really, really bad. But he seemed to have sex with literally everything. He gets back to Venice eventually. I just love the way he just travels looking for opportunities to ingratiate himself with rich people. And then occasionally he just doesn't find it. He's like, oh, bollocks, Spain was complete. That, nothing happened there. So then he keeps going. He's like a shark. He's got to have oxygen over the gills. I find it such an extraordinary way to live. It would be interesting, like, what would people make of him today from like, a psychological point of view? Like, there's so much going on there that he never marries and settles down. He doesn't really have a permanent home. Like you said, he's always on the move. It's this very sort of rootless existence, but he seems to really thrive on it as well. And like in some places he's, when he was in Paris, he was a millionaire and then he lost it all, which is like an incredible feat. Like how the hell did you do that? You silly sod. And then other places he was just working as a violinist, as a fiddler, because he couldn't do anything else. He certainly fiddled anyway. He certainly fiddled. But also I was like, you know, now we've got credit cards and sadly people can run up like massive. But like when you're wandering around Spain looking for a, a rich person to read their fortune or do some crazy stuff to, are there days when he's got nothing left in his wallet? He's like, oh, like I am going to go hungry and sleep in a barn tonight. <laughs> like I find that just that pre-modern journeying lifestyle, I find it kind of so fast, like the logistics of it. How did it work? A lot of it's on credit. And a lot of it is like the art of the con artist is to make people think that they can trust you. So he needs to present himself to people and he kind of gets this reputation. People might know who he is, even if they know him as a rake and a scoundrel. He was definitely famous for his jailbreak. So he's got a kind of a license to sort of turn up at places as a fascinating person. He just gets to a village, goes, where's the big house? Kind of. Bang on the door. Hey, everyone, it's your lucky day. Casanova is in town. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's really weird. It's the thought of like B-list celebrities turning up at your house going, hi, I'm here. That's mad, isn't it? But he sort of had this reputation, so he knew where to go and he knew the right people. There's a certain sense that he kind of just things happen to him. At least in the memoirs, that's how he remembers it. Like he doesn't seem to be able to just go out to the shops for a pint of milk without bumping into an actress or a courtesan <laughs> or... Or Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Or Benjamin Franklin. Here he meets. Yeah, extraordinary. <laughs> they talk about aeronautics and balloon transport together in they Paris. Do. They do. And he's spying. He seems to have a little nice, towards the end of his life, he gets that nice little stipend from the Venetians. He does a bit of spying. I guess he's flogging his Rolodex, he's flogging his little back book and his contacts to provide a bit of intelligence to the state security services. I think he would be a brilliant spy, apart from the fact that he wrote it all down in a memoir, which was definitely a bit of a, a giveaway. <laughs> One of the things that he was really good at was reading people. And so the way that he seduced, and I think that he still continues to seduce people, actually, because we're still drawn to him. We're still like, who was this person, this enigmatic 
person is that he kind of presents himself as this very exciting person who does stuff that you couldn't possibly do. I think that's quite magnetic, isn't it? The reality of it would be very different. And his last years, as we said at the beginning, he was a librarian, amazingly. He got very depressed. He was having a not particularly good time. That's the period in which he claimed to have met Mozart, helped him with a few bits and bobs. <laughs> um, as you do. But then wrote this unbelievable memoir. That's surely your dream. Because I've talked to you many times on this podcast, and you're saying the big problem is people don't write down the things we do, like sexually, and we don't write honest memoirs, right? We all write boring, unbelievably, because we don't offend people. We don't want to get caught out for telling little porcupines. But he is one of those rare people that does just write this incredible memoir. And it is an incredible. As a historical document, it's so valuable. And it wasn't published unedited to begin with. It took a while to get the full gory details out there. But again, even that, as valuable as that is, you've got to always be thinking, is this uncensored though? Or Because there's a real sense that he knows he's writing it for an audience. He knows. And that he's really enjoying reminiscing. One of my favourite quotes from his memoirs is, I wrote my life to laugh at myself and so far I've succeeded. So he's like having a really good time remembering this stuff. But it's how accurate was it if we could find the people he's writing about and go, well, Casanova seems to think that you had an amazing time. Is that what you remember? I'm not so sure if those things would marry up, but it's still such a valuable document. I like his line where he just says, I can say I have lived. And I think is probably true. Um, although let's not whitewash things. There was at least one, but several rape allegations. And then he slept with his daughter. What's going on with that? It's really complex because, like, if I tell you this story about this guy who invented the lottery and he's funny and he's charismatic and he chagged his daughter. It's like, what, what, sorry, whoa, 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 go back one. What? So like, we're kind of left with this, like, wow, okay. If it's true, if it's true, we don't know if there's corroborating evidence, but he... He had an affair with a woman called Lucrezia. And then years later, he met her daughter, who was called Leonilda. And he almost had sex with her. And then it found out that that's actually his daughter. He almost had sex with her. And then there's a weird description about he has sex with Lucrezia while Leonilda's in the room, but he doesn't have sex with her then. But that's weird. Like, we're in weird territory already. And then he has this thing about later on when he met her when she's like 25, she was unhappily married because she couldn't get pregnant. So as a favour, as a fatherly favour, he has sex with her to get her pregnant. And it's kind of just like Casanova. Like, I I want to be on your side, but <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? And it's, again, you've got to like... I'd say look at it in the context of the time, but no one was chugging their daughters at the time, even at the time. But what it might be is playing to incest porn, which was bizarrely common. Like the Marquis de Sade writes about it all the time. And when you look at erotica into the 19th century, there's a weird amount of incest. And by the way, incest porn is still incredibly popular today on Pornhub. It's not fathers and daughters. It tends to be stepmother and stepson, that kind of thing. So what he might be doing is bullshitting and trying to create weird sexual fantasies. Not that that makes this okay, but that's what he might be doing. I guess, like, I struggle with his life to think, like, how unusual was it? Are there other lives like this, but that we just... Which don't know about. Is it the fact this one's chronicled? It's fascinating, isn't it? And if they hadn't found those manuscripts, if they hadn't been published, we might never know. 
that, that this man... Yeah, they had a really interesting life, didn't they? They survived the bombing of Leipzig. They were suppressed for years. It's only quite recently that they've all come out, really. Yeah, and we're still, like, discovering little things, like who his famous lovers were, and... Because he, like, anonymizes some of them in the memoirs as, like, MM and CC and all these things. I think that he was unusual, even for the time. And I think that he knew that he was unusual. And he had to have been unusual because no one would have given a shit about him otherwise. You can't be turning up at the court of Catherine the Great and going, hello, I'm Casanova the completely normal, because no one cares. He had this huge appetite for adventure, and I think that he just said yes a lot. You know, like most of us have that kind of like, I'm not really sure I should be doing I don't think he had that. He just steered into the skid his entire life. <laughs> steered into the skid. <laughs> yes, he did. Well, Casanova felt like the obvious point where our two podcasts would intersect, because... I love the 18th century and you love the history of, well, things that go on betwixt the sheets. Although I don't think Casanova was betwixt the sheets for that long. I think it was, it was, it was you know. It was anywhere he could try it, up against walls, in castles, boats, anywhere. But he must have done it betwixt the sheets a few times. I mean, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Some of the relationships went so. off a bit longer. I think they would have had time to for a bit of sleep occasionally. Um, but, you know, he only actually slept with about 120 people. I think that's quite an important thing. I think that's quite interesting as well. It made me think that it's not a kind of eye-watering figure, I don't think. And it's not, is it? No. Yeah, I might be giving away too much about myself, but when I read that, I was like, what? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I sometimes wonder whether he includes, is that like a class thing? Does he not include like a quick like roll in the hay with like somebody he considers, are those people like named people that he considers important? So I think that was interesting. Also, though, I wonder how like Catherine the Great had love affairs and gained a reputation as like, a serial shagger. Well, in fact, she seems to have been someone who enjoyed a consecutive series of reciprocal loving relationships. And I wonder if in those days, maybe that was an astonishing number of people to have slept with. It's fascinating. I mean, it's still quite a big number, but when you think of someone like, I think Gene Simmons brags that he slept with over 10,000 people. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it was a mad weekend, I'm telling you. Right. I mean, that's kind of that sort of number. And I think that's quite an important point. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of dodgy stuff about Casanova, but you'd have to say that he does fall in love a lot, that there is like a lot of casual sex, but he does seem to have genuine relationships with a lot of people. But I have also wondered, were these just the named people? What about like the faceless poor people that you had sex with? But yeah. Yeah, that's the thing I, I find interesting mm. about him. But yeah, that's fascinating. Well, listen, Kate, thanks very much for coming on my podcast. I'm, I'm surprised you have time these days. You're so important to come on my podcast. I really appreciate that. Well, you know, just I'll, I'll try and remember you from when I when I was, Dan. <laughs> it's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.